worship team. If you would turn to Luke chapter 20, and we'll continue our trek through the Gospel of, of Luke. We're actually in the Passion Week of Jesus, moving toward Easter. And so Jesus has already come into town, so to speak, in Jerusalem, riding on the back of a donkey on Sunday. He's cleansed the temple on Monday. Uh, This is probably Tuesday or maybe even Wednesday. Um, He's teaching in the temple. And so we find at the very end of um, chapter 20 and moving into chapter 21, um, a portion of scripture that um, focuses on giving. And so we want to think about this this morning and find some encouragement. Um, Let me just begin by saying that It's helpful for me as I read through scripture and think about what the Bible says in light of who God is and who we are and how we're wired. One helpful way to think about what the Bible tells us is that God created us to find our happiness in him through humility and holiness. And that's why the Bible calls us to rest in Jesus and to hope in God and to pursue love. The humility part is I confess my own sin and unrighteousness and I trust in Christ. I rest in Jesus for that righteousness. And it's also that I realize that I'm totally dependent on God for what I need and what I desire. And so I put my hope in God for what I need and what I desire, for the help I need, for the happiness I long for. And with regard to holiness, that's what love is all about. Uh, Holiness is simply... Pursuing love according to the scriptures so that we reflect God in our lives. And it's God's heart that we find through humility and holiness, our happiness in God, that we find him to be the one who truly satisfies us, the one who gives us the peace in every circumstance, in every situation, uh, the one who gives us a joy that transcends all the suffering we've just talked about. And so anytime we come to a passage that challenges us with regard to how we we live, then it's important to keep it in that context, that we're talking about the importance of humility and holiness in light of what we all really want, which is full and lasting happiness. And God has said, that's found in me, the one who created you. And so I say all that um, just to remind us that anytime we start talking about certain things in the Bible, uh, defenses can easily come up. And one of those things is money. Anytime you start talking about money and and how we handle our money, it's very easy for us to get a a little uncomfortable with that discussion. But the reality is the Bible talks about money, and it talks about it in the context of pursuing our happiness in God. And it's a part of holiness. It's a part of pursuing love. And so I hope you'll listen to this passage in light of that. Uh, I'm putting together what Jesus says about the scribes and the story about the widow's might. That's what it used to be called, uh, the widow who gives the two copper coins. A lot of expositors will put those two passages together because of the link between a reference to widows with regard to how the scribes are operating and the story about the widow. And there seems to be good reason to see Jesus 
making a contrast between the scribes and the widow and what they do versus what she does. So with that in mind, let's read verses uh, uh, verse 20, uh, 45 of chapter 20 through verse 4 of chapter 21. It says, And while all the people were listening, he said to the disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearance sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins And he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them, for they all out of their surplus put into the offering. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Obviously, when we think about things like pursuing our happiness in God through humility and holiness, it raises the question, If we live like that, will it affect every area of our lives? And the Bible says, yes, it will, which means it will affect our finances, it will affect our checkbook, it will affect how we spend our money and what we do with it. And so it's very, very important uh, that we think about that as Christians and as a church, and it's very fitting in light of all the uh, financial decisions we have to make uh, coming up this year that this passage is a passage that we can talk about and encourage us to think rightly about it. Um, There are two ways of looking at what's going on here. Historically, most people have looked at this as a lesson on sacrificial giving, that Jesus is uh, watching people put money into the treasury, which was a place that had... uh, place in the temple that was actually in the court of the women. You had the Holy of Holies, the holy place. You had the court of the priests. Then you had the basically the court of Israel, the court of the men. Then you had the court of the women, and then the court of the Gentiles, and then Solomon's porch. Well, in the court of the women, which mean would mean the women could go as far as that into the temple, as well as anyone else. And in that portion of the temple, they had 13... Uh, funnel-shaped or or trumpet-shaped receptacles where you could put money in. And each of the receptacles uh, was labeled, and it would tell you uh, to what purpose and what ministry, so to speak, uh, the money would go to. And so people would come in, and they would give uh, their offering in this part of the temple. And so Jesus, after talking about the scribes, And to be aware of the scribes, he tells this story about this widow, and Jesus is watching the people come in and give their offerings, and watching the rich people come in and give their offerings, and he sees this widow coming in and, and giving her very, very small offering. And historically, most people seem to have taken this as a, a lesson on um, sacrificial giving, but not everyone. There, there are those who look at the context and they say, okay, the context of this is Jesus condemning the scribes and saying, beware of the scribes, because scribes devour widows' houses. 
and they'll say that Jesus told this story, or this, or rather this, this incident happened as a part of highlighting how the scribes and the other religious leaders were actually devouring the widows' houses. And another part of the reason why they look at it that way is because immediately after this story, Jesus is going to be addressing the destruction of the temple. And so you've got uh, earlier in Luke where when Jesus goes into the temple, he drives out the money changers. And what does he say? That's back in chapter 19, uh, verse 46, where he says, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a robber's den. So there will be those who would say, Jesus is continuing to highlight the problem with the religious system and the temple system, that it was robbing people. And so therefore, one way to look at what's going on here is to say, and there are different people who do, that Jesus isn't really um, commending sacrificial giving here. He's actually talking about how the scribes and Pharisees and other religious leaders were manipulating things in such a way that they were encouraging widows, widows who had very little to actually give the little that they had and therefore were robbing them and devouring the widow's house through that. Um, so that's part of the context that we need to factor in in terms of what's really going on here. But there's another aspect of what's going on here too because in chapter 20, they come to Jesus and they ask him, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus says, show me a denarius, and they do, and he says, whose likeness is on it? And they say, Caesar's, and he says in verse 25 of chapter 20, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And obviously, the offerings of the temple were God's. And so there's a basis for also seeing Jesus not only addressing the issue of the scribes and their devouring of the widow's houses, but also highlighting a widow who was being mistreated, part of that group that was being mistreated at least, who was actually still rendering to God the thing that was God's, still honoring him and and giving the offering uh, to him. I believe that both of those factors need to be understood and seen. But for me, I still believe that Jesus is encouraging us to see not simply the, the robbery that was taking place through the uh, corrupt religious leaders, but also to see the sacrificial giving that was taking place through this poor widow. Because what Jesus does, and if you read the account in Mark chapter 12, he calls the disciples over and he says in a very solemn way, Truly I say to you, and anytime he said truly or truly, truly, as as a way of saying, listen to this and learn something, because this is very, very important. And so he says, um, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them, for they all out of their surplus put into the offering, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. So even though earlier in the passage he condemns 
the scribes for what they were doing. Here, in contrast, he commends the widow for what she does. He doesn't mention anything about the corrupt religious system or the corrupt religious leaders. He simply focuses on this widow and what she did. And there's all kinds of reasons why that's important, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But I just want you to know that all of that is going on here in this passage. You've got corrupt religious leaders and a temple system that was ultimately going to be destroyed. And that's what Jesus is about to talk about. But in the midst of that, you still have a faithful widow who's doing what she knows she should do in honor of God, even though the temple system she was giving to was not perfect. There was a lot of imperfections about it. Well, that's part of the picture. Another part of the picture that I want us to think about before we get into the details and the application is that the story highlights the fact that all of us can give out of, uh, in three different ways. That might be one way to put it. We can all give in three different ways. We can give like the widow, which would be to give money that we really need for basic necessities. Because that's really what she did. She had, she gave two copper coins, which were the lowest denomination uh, in Judaism at the time. Uh, Together, they probably would amount to what we would call a, a penny. She gives that very little amount, and she's doing so even though that's all she has left. And she won't be able to buy any other basic necessities until she gets some more money. And that day and time, widows found it very difficult to earn money. There were very few ways that they could do so. And therefore, to be a widow typically meant to be um, very, very poor. In fact, there's a lot in the Bible that talks about caring for widows and orphans because those were the groups of people that were the poorest of society. Uh, They had very few resources that they could pull from. And so this widow is giving uh, out of what she needed for her bread and her milk. And she wasn't going to have any more bread and milk, so to speak, until she got more money. And so that's one way you can give. You can actually give out of that which you know you really need for basic necessities. But if you read in the um, account in, in Mark 12, Jesus is sitting and watching, and he's watching basically three groups. He's watching the widow, but he's watching people in general, it says, and then he's watching the rich. So there's the rich people, you've got the regular people, and you've got the, the really poor people like the widow. And so you've got the regular people, you might say, who aren't the rich and they aren't the extremely poor, and they're giving too, but you would say they're probably giving out of money that they could use to make their life more comfortable. So if they kept the money, they could maybe buy a better bed or buy a better car or or whatever, you know, put it in our day and time. But they would be able to make life a little more comfortable uh, for themselves. They're not taking money out of, you know, they're not taking the milk money or the bread money or anything like that. They're taking money that could be used for something 
to make life a little more comfortable, and yet they're giving it as an offering to God. And then you've got the rich. And Jesus says they give out of their surplus. What would that be? I would define that as giving out of money that is left over once you have all your basic necessities covered and once you really have all that you want. You still have money left over. So there's no real cost involved either way, not in terms of need or in terms of want. You've got more money than you know what to do with. That's what typically we mean when we say someone's rich. They can meet all their necessities, they can have what they want, and still have money left over. And he highlights this contrast between this poor widow who was giving out of her basic necessities and the rich people who were giving out of money that they really didn't need for anything uh, one way or another. And so that's the picture that we have going on here. And the question is, what can we learn about giving from it? And so I just want to touch on some things very briefly this morning. Um, I've entitled this Giving by Faith. And I would say the kind of giving that the Bible calls us to is giving by faith. It means I give as an expression of my faith. When you think about how Jesus commends the widow, do you think he was just commending a widow who gave the last money she had? If the the reason why Jesus was drawing the... um, disciples' attention to that was simply to condemn the religious system that that squeezed the last penny that she had out of her, would he really have commended her? Because she could have been simply doing that out of fear of the system or out of legalism or out of um, just trying to um, appease someone who's putting pressure on her. Actually, the Bible says God is pleased when we do what we do out of faith. It says in Hebrews 11, without faith it is impossible to please him. So I believe Jesus was pointing out the widow because what she did wasn't simply a result of a corrupt system that was operating on her, but it was a result of her faith in God. That Jesus was pleased with her because of the faith that motivated her to do what she did. And beyond that, it also says in 2 Corinthians, God loves a cheerful giver, which makes me believe she had a smile on her face, that she wasn't, you know, angry about the fact or upset about the fact, but that she was trusting God and she gave her last money as a result, as an offering. And Jesus, seeing the faith behind that act and seeing the cheerfulness behind that act, said, see what's happening there? She gave more than anyone else. She gave out of her poverty. And not only did she give out of her poverty, she gave as an act of faith. So that's what I mean by giving by faith. And I just want to highlight some things as we think about the passage as a whole that might be helpful for us when we think about our own giving. And the first thing is that for the scribes, 
giving, whatever giving they did, was about image. We don't have time to go to all the passages that talk about the scribes and the Pharisees, but if you went to um, Matthew 23, which is what is recorded here by Luke is actually just a few verses out of a longer passage in Matthew 23. And you understand that the scribes tithed. And Jesus said, you, stri- you tithe uh, mint and deal and cumin. But you ignore the weightier matters of the law, justice, like justice to the widow, and love for God and, and those kinds of things. And that's why he said you can strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You can be very meticulous about tithing certain things and giving certain things, and yet you swallow the fact that you're abusing and extorting widows. The reality is what was going on here, you've got the scribes who love to be seen as godly people and as somebody special. And so they wore elaborate robes. They loved the greetings in the marketplace of rabbi or leader or father. And they loved the seats, chief seats in the synagogue, which would be up front, close to the speaker or the prayer or the reader or close to where the box was that they would keep the scrolls. And they wouldn't actually be facing uh, toward the reader or the prayer. They'd be facing the congregation. So it's a place of honor. And they love those places of honor. They, they love to go to banquets where they would get to sit in the seat of honor, which is right next to the host. And they loved all of that while they were devouring widows' houses. And what does that mean? Well, there are a lot of ways that they could have done that. One is the way of um, the health and wealth gospel preacher today. Send in that gift of $200. Don't worry about whether or not you have money to pay your rent or money for this or money for that. You send in your $200 and you'll get a hundredfold return. So part of it was the scribes couldn't charge for teaching. So they had to earn a living, so to speak, some other way. And so they would encourage people to give for their teaching. They would also sometimes be estate planners for widows, and they would help them manage their their estate, and they would get the widows to give them things. Sometimes they just show up at the widow's house and eat their food and drink their drink, and and just they had ways of manipulating the widows to get out of them what they wanted. They were takers. And so all of this feeds into what Jesus is saying here about how they were concerned about their image and they were concerned about taking. They weren't concerned about giving. Whereas in the Old Testament, God says a lot about not afflicting any widow, about executing justice for the orphan and the widow. And these scribes were far from being concerned about doing that. So it's a contrast between takers and givers. And the widow is an illustration of of the fact that giving by faith can involve large or small sums. It's not to say that Jesus was condemning everyone else. 
wasn't to say that every person that was giving an offering was someone that Jesus said they weren't giving by faith. Even the rich people, it could have been possible that they were giving by faith. But he was saying that it doesn't matter how much you give. The issue is whether or not it's by faith or not. It's something that is an expression of our faith. And others would say it's one way of thinking about what we have. Sometimes we think in terms of how much we give, while people would say we probably ought to think in terms of how much we keep. That's a little harder question. You know, uh, um, someone who's a millionaire can give, you know, a gift of $50,000 and it wouldn't hurt them much at all. But someone who isn't a millionaire could give a gift of $50 and it would be quite a sacrifice for them to do that. And so uh, the issue isn't how much. The issue is whether or not it comes from a heart of faith and whether or not it reflects uh, where we are in terms of how God has blessed us. Um, You have to wonder with the widow whether or not she did what she did because that's just what she always did. She was she was always in the habit of giving. And so I don't know for sure. I do know that the Bible encourages us to give on a regular basis, to give as a habit, not just to give sporadically or to give occasionally. It encourages us to give regularly. And so she would have read in the Old Testament verses like Proverbs 3 where it says, Honor the Lord from your wealth, and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And so there are verses that encourage us to realize that what we do with our money says something about our faith in God and our honoring of God. And she, in this instance, was willing to continue giving even though it was going to be the last money that she had. Um, Again, it's the idea of regular giving and proportionate giving, which means everybody's not going to give the same. The millionaire is going to give the same as the one who has very little means. But that's not the, the important thing. The important thing is whether or not I'm giving as God would have me to. It may be sacrificial, I'm going to apply all this at the end, but I just want to make these points. And it may be sacrificial. Evidently, at this time, on this day, uh, the only one who was giving sacrificially was this widow. Others were giving, but she was giving in such a way that she was giving out of what she really needed to live on. Um, There was nothing left over. That doesn't mean that we necessarily have to always do that. And there's various reasons for that, and I'll come back to that at the end. But she was willing to do that, and Christ commends her for that. There's another uh, passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. There's a story about a collection for the, the saints, the poor saints in Jerusalem. And Paul is collecting the money for these saints. He's encouraging the Corinthians to make sure that they're not 
going back on their pledge to help out with the offering. And so he tells the Corinthians about the Macedonians. And he says, I want you to know the Macedonians have, he says, a given out of their deep poverty. They've overflowed in the wealth of their liberality, giving not only what they could give, but even beyond what they could afford to give. And yet if you read through that passage, Paul never says, and make sure you do the same thing. So what is he doing there? He's saying, this is meant to be an encouragement to you that we all need to have this kind of heart, a heart that's ready to give, ready to help other people, ready to support the work of ministry. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're all going to give out of your poverty. You're all going to give out of your basic necessities. But you should still have the same heart one way or another. And so this widow gave sacrificially, um, and the Macedonians did the same thing as an example of a heart that's willing to give in the right circumstances. She obviously had a heart for God-glorifying ministry. The temple, even though it had been corrupted in various ways by the religious leaders, was still the temple of God. It was still... There still was the holy of holies and the holy place. It was still the way through which people were to worship God, even though the religious leaders were taking advantage as they were. And so she, in faithfulness to God, uh, gave out of a heart for him and for the ministry that was going to take place there. And in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul says, Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so Paul doesn't say anything about make sure you give sacrificially like the Macedonians. He says make sure you give cheerfully. Make sure you give out of a heart that has a heart for God and a heart for God's ministry through his church and in other ways. That's why Jesus encourages us to think about Money in light of where our heart is and where our treasure is. He says in Matthew 6, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where our treasure is, is where we're going to put our money. And where our money goes is going to say something about where our heart is. And the last thing is that what she was doing in giving by faith was showing her dependence on God. If you give away your last dime, nickel, or penny, you must be depending on someone or something to make up for the fact that you don't have anything left. And she was showing that she was going to trust God. And the question is, why would she do that? If she wasn't simply being manipulated by the health and wealth preachers, by the religious establishment and their corrupt system, if that wasn't really all that was going on there, then what was going on? Well, I think it's because she had read her Old Testament. If you read in the Old Testament, you find stories about widows. For instance, in 1 Kings chapter 17, You have the story of Elijah and the widow. And what you find there, obviously, 
is Elijah is being taken care of by God. And there's a famine in the land because there's no rain. And uh, God tells Elijah to go hide because the king isn't going to be too happy with Elijah. And so he goes and he hides first by a brook and the birds feed him. Can you imagine um, God telling Elijah, go, go live by this brook and the birds are going to feed you. You know how much birds eat? He was probably thinking, oh boy, I'm going to have to go on a, a fast for a while. How is this going to work out? Well, then after that, God says, you know, when the, when the brook dried up, he said, I, I want you to go to Zarephath and I'm going to feed you through a widow. What? You're going to send me to a widow who doesn't have enough to eat herself? And you're going to feed me through a widow? You see what's going on here? How God is challenging Elijah to trust him. I'm going to feed you through the birds. I'm going to feed you through a widow that typically doesn't have enough to feed herself. And that's what he actually finds. He goes, and you can read the passage for you in light of the time, but in verses 8 through 16, he finds this widow who's with her son collecting sticks. And uh, he asks for some something to drink, and she says, sure, and... And then he says, and could you give me a piece of bread? And she says, you know what? We're out here collecting sticks to build a fire so that I can make uh, our last supper, our last meal, and we're going to die. We don't have anything extra. And um, Elijah says to her in verse 13, Do not fear. Go, do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first. Break it, make it for me first. And bring it out to me, and afterward you may make one for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the joy jar of oil be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. He was saying, Give to me first, because I promise you God's going to take care of you. You see a very similar story in Second Kings chapter 4 between Elisha and a widow. Elisha uh, is approached by this widow who says the creditors are going, going to send or sell my sons into slavery. What can I do? And Elisha says, go home, uh, talk to your neighbors, get all the jars that you can, and uh, take the little oil that you have left and fill up every jar, jar that you can. And so she had this one little jar. She goes home. Her sons collect jars from other neighbors. They have these this room full of jars, and they fill up every one of them with oil. And Elisha says, now uh, take those jars of oil, go sell them, pay off your debt, and rescue your sons from slavery. And so the bowl of flour did not run out for the widow until her needs were met. The, The jar of oil did not run out for the widow until her needs were met. And so I imagine that widow, being a godly woman, had read those stories and said, you know what, I really believe this is what I should do. I believe I should give this. I'm going to trust God because he says he supports the widow. And I see stories in the Old Testament where he did just that. He supported the widow. Well, what's the application for us? Um, Number one, one of the biggest questions people have is along the lines of giving to the church. And one question is, are we sinning if we give nothing to the church we are a part of? 
And I believe because of verses like what we find in Galatians 6, the answer is yes. It says in Galatians 6, 6, the one who has taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. And the context is, with your money you sow to the Spirit by supporting the ministry of the church. And so it doesn't tell you how much to give, but it says that we are to support the local ministry of the church through our giving. And that uh, we may be um, may not be able to give a whole lot, but we are to support our local church. Um, someone asked then, well, if we are supposed to give, are we sinning if we don't give at least 10%? And I would say no. The commands to give 10% are under the old covenant. We're no longer under the old covenant. And the reality is, it wasn't just 10%. If you add up all the tithes that were required under the old covenant, it was more like 20 to 30%, depending on how you figure it. And so... Um, if you look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he never talks about a tithe. He never, there's nowhere in the New Testament where we're commanded to give a tithe. Paul actually says what we are to do is, in verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 8, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So we're to give in light of what we have. The interesting thing is that in our day and time, Um, There have been surveys taken that if you survey all the people that go to Christian churches, the average percentage that people give is 2.5%. And they say that during the Great Depression, it was 3.3%. So that actually giving is less today overall in the church than it was during the Great Depression for various reasons. So it doesn't seem like a lot of people are are giving 10%, but we need to understand that we're not required to give 10%, but we are required to give in light of how we've been blessed. Why? Because God says giving is how you sow for your own righteousness and how you bring glory to God. And so that's why Paul could argue that if you sow little, then you'll reap little. If you sow much, you'll reap much. That's how he argues. He doesn't argue a percentage. He says, just keep in mind that relatively speaking, not in terms of how much money, but relatively speaking, are we sowing much or sowing little? Now that raises the question, does God want us to give all our money away like the widow? No, Jesus isn't teaching that we should just give all our money away. Because it also says in First Thessalonians that we're to work and make money so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. So you're not supposed to give all your money away so that you have to depend on other people. So even though she was an example, could God lead someone to do something like that in an unusual situation? But that, should be not our, that shouldn't be our regular practice of just giving all our money away and just living off other people. The other end of the spectrum is, does God want us to save enough money to eliminate the possibility of our being in need in the future? Which is the way we typically think about money in our day and time in this country. We try to stockpile money to anticipate and meet every possible need. Well, That's what the rich man did uh, when he built new barns. 
because he wanted enough money to take care of his needs and he wanted enough money for many years to come so that he could take his ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus said that that very night he died. And he says, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself but is not rich toward God. And so as a rule, we're not to give away all of our money, but as a rule, we're not to keep it all either so that we can meet all our needs and, and live uh, a life of ease um, into our latter years. So the que- another question is, do we have to give until it hurts? No, we don't have to, but there may be times when we choose to. We choose to give until it hurts. That's what the Macedonians did, and that's what the widow did. It's not that they did that every day and every time, but could God lead somebody to, to do something like what the widow did or like what the Macedonians did? Yeah, to really give in such a way that it comes out of your basic necessity fund and you trust God. But that's not the way that we're called to give all the time. The bottom line is, in answer to the question, should a heart for God and the ministry of his church move us to give? And the answer is yes. A heart for God and a heart for the ministry of God through his church should move us to give on a regular basis in proportion to what God has done to bless us and as he leads us. And Paul could say, and I'll just close with this in 2 Corinthians 9, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever." Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God." So we glorify God, we meet people's need, we invest in our own righteousness by what we do with our money in the church and even beyond the church. And so my encouragement is pursue your happiness in God and realize that what you do with your money is a part of that. And God wants to encourage us to trust him and to think about that in our lives. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that it's your heart that we truly find much joy and peace and happiness in you. Help us to guard against covetousness and fear that would keep us from the blessing of giving and keep us from pursuing our happiness in you through our money. Father, we just pray that you would free us in the ways we need to be freed and help us to think rightly about it and may we truly Uh, seek to honor you in the way we handle our money. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.